0: Welcome to Tech On Earth, a podcast aimed at bringing a practical lens to tech ethics around the world. I'm Elizabeth Rainis, founding director of the Notre Dame IBM Technology Ethics Lab at the University of Notre Dame. Today I am joined by Dr. Amana Rahib, a professor at the Institute of Business Administration in Karachi, Pakistan, an expert on the Islamic ethics of technology. Dr. Rakib, thank you so much for being with us today and for joining me so early in the morning from Karachi, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor. Great. So I'd like to begin where we typically do on this podcast, which is with your personal journey. Tell us, how did you come to study and publish on Islamic Perspectives on Technology Ethics?
1: Um, All right. Uh, I'll begin with the name of God, who is the most beneficent, the most merciful. Um, I um, actually started off my career uh, doing an undergrad in philosophy. I graduated back in 2004. Um, and while I was studying uh, for my philosophy degree, uh, simultaneously I was enrolled in a in a program that looked closely at the at the Islamic scripture, the text. And so I was I was doing the two programs simultaneously, and then I used to you know come across uh, questions and ideas which I would then try to. Uh, sort of situate within the Islamic theology and try to, to figure out some of the answers. And then also at the same time, I found out that there are some very pressing contemporary questions or other dilemmas that, uh, you know, the Muslims need to deliberate upon. And and while, uh, for instance, I was studying philosophy of science and a uh, Critical theory. I was surprised by the fact that uh, many of the Muslim um, intellectuals, intelligentsia, scholars, they they weren't as aware of that. So the the because of the you know the colonial heritage, uh, the Muslim populace, uh, the more educated people were were too awed with science and technology and were not very cognizant of those deeper. Uh, questions of an ethical nature so uh so yeah so that's when sort of I I, I might say vaguely that that's when so sort of I I thought that there was there was a need to work on that and again not just uh, something that requires a deconstruction because there is a lot of critique already that was being produced uh, within the Western, uh, you know, academic literature in the past few decades. Um, So I thought that uh, there needs to be some constructive work that needs to be done through, um, through an Islamic, you know, metaphysical, epistemological and ethical perspective. Uh, So when I started off my doctoral program, I was more bent upon uh, working on science, but somehow it eventually, you know, turned out to be technology.
0: Got it. Uh, that's really fascinating. I mean, you bring together so many disciplines in your own background, <laughs> and I think those of us working in this field are recognizing more and more the importance of true interdisciplinarity. Let's dive right into the Islamic perspective, and we can start perhaps from the critical lens, and then turn to the more constructive perspective as you as you frame it. So, from a, from a critical or more negative frame, I think you've you've said or you've written that there's a, a crisis of morality as a result of what you term postmodern technologies. I was hoping you could help us understand what you mean by this and unpack a bit of what postmodern technologies are and how how you view them through an Islamic perspective.
1: What we call modern technology had this built-in optimism where, you know, there were those higher ideals of, let's say, human progress. There was, you know, meliorism, you know, things that we find in people like Dewey and others. Uh, So there is like a hope and optimism, right, in terms of perhaps some some sort of a, a general human betterment Kind of a kind of a utopia, but that's like now seriously questioned both on the theoretical and practical grounds, right? So practically, we have seen you know some immense destruction in the past century as a result of the technological advancement. Uh, but um, even on a more on a more theoretical level, we are um, encountering uh, those deeper questions. Of, of morality, right? And on what, what should be the, the goal, the idea, what sort of a human society do we want to create? What sort of individuals do we want to have who inhabit those societies? And those questions are difficult uh, to answer because of, of the perspectives that lack a deeper metaphysical basis. Right. So in, in such a situation, we we are sort of in a deadlock position, right? Where we don't have a strong foundation to provide us with a stable morality to guide our goals and aims to, towards which we should be designing our technology. And in that sort of a moral vacuum, what happens is that technology assumes the higher end, you know, becomes an end in itself, and this is what I call postmodern. Uh, you know, the 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 extreme uh, manifestation of that postmodern condition, right? Where means become ends, right? So you become. I, I can illustrate that, for instance, I, I'm talking to you via via this technological medium, right? So what is uh, what is the intrinsic end here in our conversation is, is is having a meaningful intellectual you know conversation about some pressing ethical problems that humanity is facing, right and 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 it could have been through a number of means, right? It, it, we, we could have been talking over phone, we could have met in person, right? Uh, it, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, what means we use, but in a way, if means take over, right, it becomes more important, the kind of sophisticated means that we are using that can keep us in touch, you know, 24 seven, that becomes more important.
0: Yeah. Let's zoom in on those means versus ends, because I know your book is focused on, um, I believe what you term an objectives approach, right? Or I don't want to mispronounce this. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. And so is this what your book is getting at in terms of an objectives approach? Could you elaborate on your view there? Oh, sure. So basically, uh, uh, in trying to
1: address that sort of gap or vacuum that I I just mentioned, um, I have tried to sort of use a traditional you know islamic ethical resource right um and that is the uh, the maqasid right and the maqasid al sharia is is primarily um it's a paradigm where the early muslim theologians uh they they tried to uh, sort of excavate or they sort of derived uh, some basic ethical principles or objectives from the scriptures that is from the quran and the the sunnah of the the prophet Muhammad so um so there are like lots of particulars that are mentioned in the scriptures but they wanted to uh to derive those you know general principles uh that are actually meant to be preserved and protected and they called it the maqasid or the objective that the whole uh, uh, religion of Islam or the, the the Islamic ethics is meant to save God these certain basic fundamentals right and they uh, there's some disagreement over that but you know so generally speaking they talk of those five universals uh, and that's all, for all humanity that's not just for Muslims and that's like religion life, intellect wealth and honor, right, or your lineage, um, and they say that no matter what we uh, what we are asked to do or what we are prevented from doing, you know, both the do's and the don'ts, uh, that's part of the uh, Islamic ethics is meant to uh, to protect these fundamental universals, and that's actually meant to ensure another term that I have uh, used um, that my work is based upon is the maslaha or the well-being. Uh, which means that these objectives are meant to secure the collective well-being of humankind. Um, And that's why it's very important to safeguard those.
0: Yeah, so this well-being concept is really interesting as well. Um, So one of the things that um, our lab is focused on are values underlying technologies and approaches to technology. And I know you've also talked a lot about values. I want to look at what some of the predominant values are today in the the technology conversation and how they compare to core uh, Islamic values. So I was was asking about this example of um, efficiency, right, which is very predominant in the conversation versus a a value like compassion and how you think about the interplay there.
1: So efficiency is actually the most important value when it comes to technology today, right? Efficiency, and I would also add convenience, for instance, and that goes very well with the instrumental logic that informs the the technological paradigm today, right? And also because when we don't have any foundation to, to give us any sort of final values to aim towards What happens is that efficiency becomes the highest value or rather the norm, right? And it becomes enough to just say, you know, as a justification or as a rationale behind anything or any technology or technological application that it saves up on time, it's more
0: efficient, it saves up on labor, so on and so forth. I just want to zoom in a bit. So I want to make this more concrete for listeners who maybe are not, you know, so deep in this conversation, but let's look at a specific industry or, you know, technology or maybe um, something like healthcare. How would how would these values perhaps play out in, in a specific context or industry like that? Could you give us some examples perhaps?
1: Yes, because uh, right now, uh, when we were uh, working on artificial essays, right, and we were looking at, you know caring bots, for instance, right, in terms of, you know, who are more efficient, who, who, who are supposed to be more efficient than, let's say, human carers. But then there's this element of um, of compassion uh, that's like and an human conscious compassion that, that would be lacking in that. And the other thing, looking from the Islamic, and I think we actually... Uh, share this with other religious traditions like Christianity, and, and I think almost all other religious traditions there, when we are caring for other people, uh, let's say sick people or patients, it's not just meant for their physical recovery or physical revival. There are lots of other dimensions when we are caring for the patient, it's one. Because when we are uh, sort of in such a close proximity with a sick person, we really understand deep enough the frailty of human life in and of itself. And then from an ethical perspective, we have this, this opportunity, this chance of doing good for someone and then, at the same time, when we do do good to other people, you know, in terms of taking care of them, we have a chance of raising our own, uh, raising in our own uh, spiritual heights, right? And, and and being able to to become closer and closer to the ideal of moral excellence, right? So, for instance, in Islam, you know, it's it's a it's a very uh, a highly a rewarding thing to go and visit the sick people, right? And it's not just enough to have you know a Zoom chat with them, right? It's it's actually to go there to to be with them and 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 in this time of the alienation and loneliness that we are suffering, you know, we're with this you know loneliness has become one of the syndromes of our of our postmodern age, right? People are just uh, they don't have uh, anyone, and they are always looking forward to having human real human company
0: uh, right <laughs> yeah and we saw this play out pro- uh, very much in the pandemic right where we had you know we were keeping people connected whether in nursing homes or hospitals with devices but perhaps lacking the human connection the physical touch other elements you know that go beyond what can be facilitated by modern or postmodern technology so i think that's a really vivid example
1: all right. Can I add one more thing? You know, so if I'm uh, talking about the, the Islamic perspective, then there's this uh, concept of human nature, which is called fitra, right? And this, uh, we have this this belief that, you know, uh, this fitra is uh, is part of our humanness, right? It's part of our metaphysical being. And that fitra sort of defines who we are. And it's part of human fitra uh, to, to be a sociable uh, being you you want other human and that's how we are designed by god and that's why god always places us in in family so he has structured uh, the world accordingly right so we are never born in a way that you know we don't have those human social connections right and that's why it's it's appropriate you know when when defining wellness or well-being or human well-being, uh, this concept of FITRA is very important, right? The ha- because otherwise it's like very difficult to define what's what's wellness, right? Yeah. So we that's the standard, the gold standard, right? Yeah. And it plays out, especially when we are talking about things like compassion, the human element, and so on and so forth.
0: And it's so interesting that you say that because I think one of the things that comes up for me a lot in the technology ethics conversation is just how individualistic it can be, right? And so we talk about individual well-being and values, but not so much the collective or the social or the interpersonal. And it, I think what you're describing is sounds like both dimensions, that you kind of need the individual and the collective to have a complete view of this. Is that an accurate representation? Yes,
1: yes. And that's the beauty of the Islamic ethical system, actually, because you are at the same time you're working. On your own personal ethics, morality, spirituality, enhancing your intellect, intellectual abilities, but that's, that's tied to the, the good of the community, the society, the humankind as a whole. And also in my book, I've talked about it. So also the the paradigm that I've used there, the objectives paradigm, um, it talks about. Uh, it's very clear in that that when uh, if an individual good is harming a collective good, it's a principle. Uh, it's a le- also a legal maxim in Islam. And again, when I say legal maxim, it's not just law. It's actually ethical slash legal maxim uh, that, uh, you know, if the 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 individual good is conflicting with the collective good, then the collective good is to be given, is to be prioritized, right? And there's like, there's a consensus over that. And also, for instance, when I mentioned those five objectives, And it's pertinent to what you asked earlier regarding efficiency and compassion and those sorts of, you know, which value we should prioritize and and what should be the formula to decide that, right? So we have also this classification of necessities, needs, and uh, enhancements, right? Again, we have Arabic terms for that, but I won't use that. And that's like, uh, so so sometimes, for instance, uh, if there's like, we are talking about Human life, the objective of human life, and we are talking about wealth, for instance, right now. There's a value uh, 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 in protecting wealth, and you know you could have more efficient means that could perhaps be more economically efficient, right? But is that a necessity, or a need, or an enhancement, right? V- with respect to the preservation of wealth and, you know, whatever human resources versus there's something that's at the level of necessity in terms of human life, right? So if we are talking about compassion and, uh, you know, that's a fundamental human value, right? Because if you lose that, we sort of lose something fundamental about being humans, Right so then we have to see right so we can give up effic- efficiency because it would perhaps come under enhancements versus something that would come under necessity right so that's always sort of an ongoing debate right you you we have the framework and then you know when when we talk about these these emerging issues or cases or whatever we we sort of apply apply that
0: yeah no that's um that's a great point um so, based on what we've talked about, I, what I'm hearing is that you're saying, you know, technology has sort of become the means and the ends. You know, it's, a, it's an end in itself, um, but it, do, it doesn't have these values embedded in it. And it, this value of efficiency or convenience, these values are overtaking more important, perhaps more human values that are coming from religion, culture, you know, um, other traditions. So, I'm curious from your perspective, given that you are focused on a, on a constructive approach to technology ethics. What, if anything, can be done about this, um, given how concerning this phenomenon is?
1: Yes. So um, I would say that there's a lot that can be done potentially, but only if there are well-intending, well-meaning people. Uh, So it's not something that's, that's really out of hand. I argued this in my book as well, you know, that strong thesis of technological determinism um, I don't agree with that. I think there's like a, a two-way traffic where there's like a technology shaping human beings, but human beings, you know, s- society shaping technology, right? So it's it's going hand in hand. Technology, it does shape us in in many irreversible ways, but only because we allow it to either deliberately. So it's it's primarily when we design technology. Prior to my work, and thankfully now I see a lot of literature coming up, you know, that that's focusing on design. Because when I was back in, um, you know, 2010, 11, when I started off with my work, there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, the the responsibility on people who consume technology, they should be responsible use and so on, but not much on the designers end, right? So again, it has to start there. Even that, I would say that's not enough, because again, If we look at uh, holistically, right, technology is part of our societal social dynamics, right? Even saying that we can somehow fix this problem with technology in in isolation, I don't think this would work. And this has been working precisely because where does technology come come from, right? There, there There are human beings who are designing it. And those human beings, whether they are very aware cognizant or not, they have some uh, some value framework that is informing their decisions. So I'd give you an example, right? So for instance, when uh, let's say Steve Jobs, right? He um, he had a vision, right? So there's the vision is is either a, a personal vision, or this vision is informed by some some sort of a meta narrative about. You know what humans should be doing, right? So in that sense, he had he envisioned everybody, you know, having a smartphone, right? And and he translated his vision into reality. Now, this is what is happening all around us, right? So, but the question is that vision steers technology, but the vision itself is not technological, right? There's some informing. Higher paradigm, right? Uh, it's it's culturally informed, or and that's where I believe this postmodern idea comes in, right? Because having lost faith, right, in anything that's like really uh, meaningful, ethically driven, it becomes more of sort of innovation for the sake of innovation, right? You just try and you just sort of put things up there and see how they proceed. That sort of a, a logic behind this constant, you know, incessant inventions. So, I would say, I'm sorry, I lost track. So, what, what, what was your original question?
0: I think you've answered it, uh, which is what can be done. And it sounds like an, I've heard a number of answers from you. You know, one is obviously to zoom out, to look beyond the technology, right? To contextualize this more and to look at the human values embedded. Um, you've talked about design. I mean, I would like to give you the opportunity. Um, our lab is very focused on um, applied technology ethics. So, do you have maybe one or two very practical, tangible takeaways for, let's say, global companies who really are concerned about this and and do you want to think about translating some of your work into practice? Sure, I, I I would be happy to do that. But again, I wouldn't
1: say that. You know, I if somebody asked me that, you know, we are designing this, you know, this one technology. Can you come and help us with that one technology? I don't think this works. It would work this way, right? Because one technology, again, is part of a greater nexus, you know, a web of technologies. And Hans Jonas actually gives a, a very, a, a, you know, pertinent example of, let's say, steam train, steam engines, you know, when they started off back in the 19th century. So it's basically, you know, it's a whole gamut, right? And then, you know, you started uh, digging out coal, right? And you designed a steam engine so that you could, you know, dig it out of the mines and take it out. But then the steam engine themselves needed more coal. So you had to dig up more, you know, you see this sort of a a imperative that starts happening. Absolutely. It's it's not just when technology, and that's what my work is meant to emphasize, that it's a collectivity of those technologies And also behind the technology. So if we are designing, again, the the same question, what sort of human individuals we want to design? What sort of families we want to design? What sort of communities and societies we are looking forward to? Right? So, So those are some fundamental questions. And actually, this has come up in our own research of thinking of the whole educational paradigm. So we started off with this idea that the engineers, um, the design engineers, they are not equipped to actually tackle such questions, right? So when they design, they are more focused on, you know, the productivity, the efficiency side, and they think themselves to be just problem solvers. You know, that the, the, they give solutions for those technical problems, right? Of how to make something more efficient, you know, remove the errors and so on, right? And also the question of, not just the question of how we should, design it uh, in the best possible way, for instance, to sort of align with the ethical values. But some very basic key questions of whether there is a need to design it in the first place, right? Those those critical questions that need to be asked and which I think are are not being asked presently. And then, of course, also the, 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 the consequences that can be enumerated uh, because I've emphasized this point in my book as well, that Islam, Islamic ethics is not purely consequentialist, but of course, it does take into consideration consequences. And, and we know that, you know, what the past few decades have shown us are some very grave consequences, right? Uh, so again, there has to be the right intention, there has to be the right goal or objective, then the right sort of design or methodology, and then the right consequences.
0: And it sounds like the lack of intention is an intention in some instances, right? <laughs>
1: um that postmodern nihilism right. is, is out, right? That right. you don't have intention of doing anything and then anything can happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, just to wrap up here, I guess one final question to take us out on an optimistic note is what makes you hopeful about the future of technology ethics? the
1: the disaster that we are experiencing right now <laughs> i feel that unless there's something really serious to to make more and more people question it and not have this very naive optimism regarding you know technological progress or technology for the sake of technology right so when people see those those brutal you know killings the the loss of Human compassion, you know, the the question of you know how we can differentiate, you know, reality from we are and and those sorts of things, right? Then then I think uh, we will we will gather the momentum where uh, These things people would become serious um, about these things, and the worse it gets, I think the hope for better. <laughs>
0: I agree with you. Uh, Dr. Rakeb, thank you so much again for joining me today. And I really look forward to continuing this conversation with you. Tech on Earth is a production of the Notre Dame IBM Technology Ethics Lab. For more, visit techethicslab.nd.edu.